0: Hey, what's up? This is Lou from Phoenix, Arizona. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to the podcast. Ray, Alan, great work you guys are doing there. Two of my favorite episodes were the Crazy Rich Asians episode and also the Mulan episode. Great topics. Very interesting. I'm looking forward to more episodes. I'm tuning in from Phoenix, Arizona.
1: Hey! Hey, thanks,
2: Lou. What's up, I'm Lou? Sorry I didn't get a shout out, but I'm glad that <laughs> Ellen and Ray did.
1: Lou, what's up? How you doing, Lou? Uh, Lou's a good friend of mine. He's a he's an avid listener of the podcast. I appreciate the words, Lou. Yeah, thanks, Lou. Really appreciate. It. Hope things are going great for you out there in Arizona. We miss you out here in Cali. Hey, we got fans out in Phoenix, Arizona. We're breaking those state lines. All right. Hello everyone, I'm Ray and I'm Alan
2: and I'm Renee
1: and we are real Asian podcast welcome folks to another episode of the of the show and today we are talking about boogie just came out recently uh, early in March it was written and directed by Eddie Huang obviously if you have not seen the movie yet it's going to be major spoilers from here on out uh, what we usually do like we said we're going to go around quick thoughts about the movie and then we kind of dive into it so I'll start kick things off y'all. I give Boogie a a solid 7.5 out of 10. Uh, I like this coming-of-age, hoop-dream story centered around an Asian-American lead uh, which has multiple, multiple layers that conveys a nuanced Chinese-American experience, that of Eddie Huang, who wrote it, as I mentioned. We do see a complicated, borderline abusive relationship with his parents and some kind of troubled domestic life. Boogie's insecurities masked by his tough exterior a romance between two different cultures only to find that hey you know what they have a little bit more similarities than they realize and of course the classic basketball tale right where Boogie learns to become a better team player which in turn helps him grow as a person. The majority of the movie was pretty solid I thought although I did feel the movement between plot points was a little bit haphazard especially at the end I I don't know if maybe they ran out of production money or it just kind of felt a little bit rushed but as far as basketball movies go, and I'm a big fan of basketball movies, I think it's close to the starting five. Um, I, would, I would have to think about it if I would give it the Sixth Man Award. Maybe I have to let it marinate a little bit. However, I did like how Boogie didn't appropriate the culture, but more so expanded it. Alan, I want to share your thoughts. Sorry, Eddie
0: Huang, I love you. I love your novels, and I love your books, but I'm giving your movie a two out of five. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, this this movie, you know, I, I'll be honest. This movie, uh, you know, this is a movie that to its core has a great shell of a concept. Uh, it has the struggles of a um, second generation Asian American story set in New York. Uh, tells a Asian American story that doesn't pander to white Americans. But ultimately, it falls flat due to poor editing, poor cutting, pacing and ultimately execution you know the movie had all the right ingredients for a blowout on the bu- and, you know potential box office well quote-unquote youtube but you know it just couldn't get the foundational pieces of storytelling right. you know this is a f- that that's the film's ultimate downfall i i equate this movie to you know going to a chinese dinner and getting a 10 course meal uh, but instead, they, they skip the cold-cut meats, they skip the hot and sour <laughs> soup, and they, they skip the Chinese broccoli appetizers. Instead, it goes straight to the Peking duck, which is great, but it doesn't really get you ready for the most important piece of the movie, which is the Peking duck. You just kind of just go straight into it. And I think that's what makes this movie, for me, not very good. A lot of great things, concepts, foundation uh, the uh, concepts, a lot of great ideas. Uh, f- uh, frameworks, but unfortunately due to, I mean, I get that this is Eddie Huang's uh, debut and so is Taylor uh, Taylor's uh, acting debut as well, but there are just so many instances where I watch the movie again and I think about the editing and the pacing and the storytelling and the character and world development it lacks so much that it takes away from what the story really should be and that's the complexities and the story of each individual character hmm racist <laughs> just kidding I Guess my own people
2: damn all i can say is i'm really hungry now
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know mm, Peeking yeah, duck, duck cold cut meats
2: there you go um you know since everyone's doing their own rating system i'll go ahead and do my own now too i i give it 65 out of 100 <laughs>
0: <laughs> barely uh, passing
2: barely passing you know like that's definitely i mean like, high school students right um anyway i Um, The reason why I gave it a 65 out of 100 really is because I also I really like Eddie Huang, but he's also super problematic in some ways, too. Um, I thought it was funny that they came out swinging within like the first five minutes of just like dunking on uh, Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity. Um, Mm -hmm. But the things that things that were good about it, which I'll go ahead and say is like, I appreciated being able to see the complexities of the parent child relationship. Um, I felt like that was actually f- fairly realistic in that regard, at least for me. Right, and I and I feel like um, I really appreciated being able to to see some of like the cultural representation being in there without it being like it wasn't super overt and it wasn't trying to d- water it down. Um, and so I, I appreciated those aspects of it. Now, you know, I'm I'm not a hooper, but I thought it was really interesting to kind of see that played out. And if I hadn't watched Last Chance U Basketball that just came out a couple weeks ago on Netflix, I feel like I would absolutely have no fucking clue about like D1 top schools and stuff like that. Mm, So it was really interesting for me to be able to kind of see that perspective coming in, especially because, um, you know, number one thing is like for parents you know, you you see, like, Asian parents are always pushing their kids to be, like, highly academic. Um, that's not necessarily the case in for, uh, for Boogie, um, but I really appreciated the fact that the parents, in their own ways, did show that they cared for their kid, and I think that actually carried the entire movie, was that
1: relationship. Nice. Okay, so that... I think we're all, I, I think on Mike, okay, obviously my rating is a little bit better than both of y'all's. I think maybe this may be the first time where we're kind of all over the place about a certain movie.
2: You know why? Because, um, because like for an example, I gave Raya, uh, 70, you know, 7.5 out of 10. And I was like, ooh, was this better than Raya or on the same level? And it's like, nah, you know, and so if I'm yeah. going from that perspective of like just like the level that we're bringing, for a Hollywood-produced film, like, I would say it's, like, Mm -hmm. on the lower end. But if you're talking about just, like, Asian-American representation, then, yeah, I definitely would say, like, it's higher. Like, 70s, 75, but, like... Right, Mm. Right, but if it's, like, Hollywood in general, it's it's a little bit on the lower end
0: for me. I I think for me, I just... When I was watching it, I I, want to get away from giving a movie a great score just because it has Asian-American stories in it. I'm of the opinion... (laughs) You know, I'm of the opinion of, like, if we're going to tell an Asian American story, I want it to not just be a great story, but I want it to be executed correctly. And so there are just so many times when I was watching it. And like, for example, it took me to like half of the movie. I was like, who, who is Eddie Huang's character in this film? Like, wh- why is he here? Or who are these people? They're not even introduced to him. Uncle Jackie. He said, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> is it, <familiar? laughs> he's just a cameo. It's just, but there's so many scenes where I've watched the movie. And it, t- and because I have all these instances of, you know who who are these people? Or like, are they hinting that the mom is having an affair? Or it takes away from the actual core of the movie. It's like these. There's these side quests that doesn't that doesn't lend to the to the credibility or the the complexities of the movie. It just takes your patience or your attention away.
1: I, I I I agree. I I felt like the Melvin basketball coach that was a little unnecessary. It was it was a little unnecessary. I didn't quite get the addition or the purpose of that. Um, whether or not. He was trying to hit on her or they were already having an affair. So I do get all that. Wait, 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 wait,
2: wait a minute. No, 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 no! What? Very common. It's very common to be able to have someone representing your kid, actually. And this, this is something like, right, like, um, uh, how rich celebrities do this for their kids, where they actually hire mm-hmm. someone who's going to go and scout for different colleges for them and things like that.
1: Oh yeah, I, I understood that. I didn't understand the 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 insinuation. Yeah, Anna. I didn't understand the insinuation of yeah. that. I think that could have uh, that didn't add or take away from any, or I mean, it didn't add anything. It definitely took away. (laughs) So I think adding it did take away from it. I I understand that. Yeah.
2: And actually, I agree with Alan um, about the editing. Um, I agree with Alan on the editing because like it was really, like I'm wondering how much actually got put on the editing floor because it did there were a lot of it not not necessarily inconsistencies but i definitely felt like it dropped a lot of storytelling elements that could have made it stronger yeah and i'm wondering like part of it is you know eddie did talk about how he had so much trouble actually trying to even get funding for like two years he wasn't even getting greenlit so, you know, it's possible that there were uh, directorial edits that he didn't really want, but the studio said, like, hey, this is too foreign. Like, you need to cut some of this stuff.
1: I, I I hear you guys. I just have to respectfully disagree. I feel like you guys are putting too much weight into, like, the side characters when the main protagonist of the film is Boogie. Oh, I got some hot takes, against so him. <laughs> sure, but, like, it, okay, and then I'm, I'm also looking at it from the perspective of, uh, a big basketball movie fan. I think about Above the Rim, mm-hmm. He Got Game, White Man can Jump, even Space Jam, uh, Loving Basketball. I like love I, basketball. Love yeah, I love, yeah, I love them these movies. And these movies aren't, you know, doesn't have phenomenal acting, but like, kind of how the game goes, it's like, you it, it's about the the star of the player of the of the team and you know boogie is that kind of protagonist and it does kind of follow that formulaic and i did feel like eddie huang was doing this homage to like above the rim which is yeah. a really good classic yeah. uh, basketball movie and yes the ending to like really the last like 10 minutes is what i kind of felt like oh that was a little strange like the fortune teller right i didn't i, I didn't i wish the fortune teller wasn't the person even though that was eddie huang's mom wasn't the person that all of a sudden got Boogie to open up his eyes. I think I would have preferred for it to come from like his dad or his mom or someone that we had more of an emotional investment with.
2: But I think Eddie Eddie directorially wrote it specifically so that Boogie had a complicated relationship with his parents so he couldn't be able to have that eye-opening moment with them. And actually, I felt like it was if you... Take a look at um, one of the scenes when they're when it's like the English teacher and he's talking about the hero's journey. And actually yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't he doesn't actually say it, but it's in the background and it shows like this, the you know, the circle, of the hero's journey. And part of it is like I did feel like because they opened the movie with it, it felt cyclical. And I think that actually did and lend itself to like, OK, this is like they're trying to say like, okay, we think you're smart enough to understand how we're making these connections here. Um, and, and you know, like, um, it was just part of Chinatown. And I, I, mm-hmm. I appreciated that aspect of it. They're just kind of say like, uh, you know, culturally, this is appropriate. Um, but it was really interesting. I, I thought the, the fortune teller scene where it's kind of like, oh, I don't see snakes. And he's like, why? And he's like, well, they're a really intuitive pe- creature people. And like, I, I wouldn't, normally see them Mm, so i I thought it was interesting
1: like i it's also kind of like eddie added that in because he his take on it is that he wants to respect the culture He, he does respect the culture and he loves his parents and all that but and he kind of illustrates this through boogie is that he doesn't know how to fit into that framework of how to respect the culture because he's you know he Doesn't play into the stereotypical, like Asian typecasted kind of character, right? He's brash. He's kind of got that swagger. He's got bravado. Now, the acting. Like I said, I can kind of give it a pass. I mean, Taylor Takahashi, first time debut film. He started off as Eddie Huang's personal assistant.
2: You know, he hails from Alameda, right?
1: Yep, he's a Bay Area kid. And at least he has basketball skills. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that Eddie said is that it's really hard to make a basketball movie because you have to find a good actor and someone who can play basketball. But let's talk about Boogie. Alan, go ahead and give us your hot takes on Boogie. Boogie cousins, I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry
1: about boogie. There.
0: No, I think this boogie. I mean, he's he's. I'm gonna give Taylor his his chops here. This is acting debut. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna ba- like bang him on his acting. It's bad, but that's fine. This is his first time acting. I don't care about that. What I will say though that the character is actually. I felt that the way Eddie Huang wrote the character is he's very misogynistic. He's kind of a creep. And he's fucking disgusting. I mean, like, one of the first opening lines is, you have a pretty vagina. Okay. And how is that not? How, how are they even together after that? Is that the way that, I mean, I would have slapped the shit out of his face. Yeah. To our New York City listeners, is that the way that people were supposed to hit on each other? I, I really don't fucking know. Um, the other thing I don't like about Boogie's character is, I don't know if this was intentional or whether it was, um, acting, but there are so many scenes. In which he doesn't convey the emotions correctly. Think about that one scene where he, uh, his, his mom and dad are arguing after his dad slaps the shit out of, of um, uh, what the hell is it? the bath, the, the, the Melvin. scout, Melvin, right? And then he's like, Fight, Gu- guys! Stop! We we have to stop fighting. Like, I was like, but d- throw some emotion in there, baby. Like this is like this is high stakes. I felt like they're like table stake emotions, the table stake acting, and the the ability to convey the emotion just wasn't there. Uh, and for Boogie, I think the this movie is strongest is when he is talking about his real life anxieties of stereotypes, expectations, and labels, and how he talks about how in in America. Asians are viewed as just broccoli, uh, you know, beef and broccoli. We're, we serve one purpose. That's it. We can't go outside that paradigm. That's when the movie is really good, and that's when his character shines. Is when he has introspectiveness in his own character and how his piece falls into the larger puzzle of Air, Ama- Asian American culture in this country. But then the fact that the character is written poorly. There's so many scenes where he's deadpan in the face. He's constantly hanging on to the chain link fence and just. Dead eyes staring at Monk as if like there's something supposed to be going on there. I felt like Boogie's character has so much potential, but the writing and and Eddie Huang did not capitalize on fleshing this character out to make it very impactful.
2: Wow, you know what, I actually really agree with that, that um, about how they tried to make the chain link fence scenes out to be really big and so then when it finally got to the point where they had a pop smoke i mean a monk you know rest in peace pop smoke,
1: rest in peace pop
2: uh it it just felt so anticlimactic, Agreed. you know and so uh, man i felt like there there should have been bigger um explosive kind of reactions there especially when it's when you're talking about that high quality um you know and all you know big stakes kind of playing and so i agree with you in that regard that they definitely didn't um utilize that yeah
0: and and i don't know if that's like i don't think this is like taylor's fault i, I really this is why it, go, it goes back to my core complaint in the beginning is like i don't think the movie was paced nor i think the it was a fleshed style correctly and i think this is on eddie huang and his his team on the production side not a not having the ability to capitalize on so many amazing opportunities to pick at they just kind of like this is a basketball movie and here it is and and it's just it's so flat. The profile is very flat
1: i I will say i i that's how teenagers talk. I mean, you have to remember the, the they're in high school, and there's it's a, it's lots of slang. I hear what you're saying like yeah the the lines that he says when he he hits on uh, Eleanor is like really bad. but then when I watched it again, knowing that he's actually a virgin and he has like he puts up this front then i go oh i okay i get it now he portrays a certain type of mas- masculinity that he thinks is a way to kind of get girls right that's why and i feel like that's how teenagers are i mean if you look if you you remember the half of it right it's uh, a na- naivete or there's a certain naiveness whatever the hell you say that. naiveness I'll, I'll cut that out <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in high school, right, the way that teenagers talk, there's a certain innocence, but also just everything is heightened to like eleven, and you know it's not going to be a uh, mature dialogue. And I think with, for Eddie Ritt, writing for it, I think it was pretty authentic. I mean, I
0: give, I give that. I'll give that. But my man needs to listen to J Cole's "Wet Dreams" song, talking about like bravado, and I think <laughs> he's playing himself up, but he's also over. I need him to listen to some J Cole. <laughs>
2: Tell me guys, tell me. Okay, in high school, were you guys, you know, sex demons, smoking pot and drinking?
1: I smoked pot of a, out of an apple. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say yeah, like as a teenager, you you portray a certain, you know, persona to to try to be cool. Um, but the chain link friends, I get that. I mean, I've been in those situations where I've seen people kind of stare each other down it could have been a little bit more c- cinematic but i think that is kind of what that is there for it's just like a stare down
2: i think i counted the like four scenes four different scenes mm-hmm. of like the stare down that i feel like they probably could have done it once or twice and it would have still had the same amount of impact because what ended up happening was that that when they finally got on the court there was like zero Energy, right?
0: Like all the anticipation is gone. It's like when you watch a horror movie and they constantly bar- barrage you with um, jump scares. So like when there's actually scary scenes, it doesn't pay off because all the tension is gone already.
1: Well, wouldn't that go against the plot though? Because the part point of him at the end is he becomes a better team player, and he admits he's like Monk is better than me. But the purpose of the game is to win, right? So if he hit, he he if he bought into the one on one basketball then it's like okay well he didn't really learn anything right
2: well that's why like okay so if they had just done one or two scenes of the you know dead Mm -hmm. eyes from the fence then paired it with the bat with the bus scene where he's all like i'm doing my research now too and then did you know basically you know like that that was actually a better. I think that could have been like the point that they were still trying to make. It was like, okay, you're trying to intimidate me, get in my head. I, Pop smoked it amazing by saying, Tell Juicy, I said hi. I'm like, damn, that right there, that was wonderful. The mm-hmm. way that they pulled that in. And so it should, but like Boogie's character going to the Chainlink fence, like t- a couple of times, like that was just too much. It was just too many times, like because mm-hmm. it was so anticlimactic.
1: Okay, uh, Renee, let's go ahead and talk about the parents. And just the family dynamic.
2: Well, it was really interesting because it opens up the movie with a young Mr. and Mrs. Chin. And they're not Mrs. at this point.
1: He's, like, he's all 50-50 chance. She's like, what kind of question? <laughs> yeah, is like, that? Of so <laughs> course. You <should> <laughs> <a sec. laughs> um,
2: but, you know, how many times has your mom said that you're a mistake? Um, I know my mom said that <laughs> quite a bit about me. I mean, they so. say you, they
1: found <laughs> us in the back of a dumpster, right? That's really common in <laughs> Asian families. Yeah, my mom said I was uh, birthed in a toilet. <laughs> oh my god,
2: holy shit. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, um, so, you know, you can really tell already that, you know, Mrs. Chin has quite a bit of fire in her. Decides to go ahead and they decide to go ahead and keep the baby. You know, that was early 2001. And then, you know, fast forward 18 years later, here you go. Here's Boogie. And so, you know, there's, this a- anticipation of of under- trying to understand like where are the parents coming from and it's interesting because several times they actually go back to the fortune teller scene so that Mm -hmm. you can be able to tease out even more and more about the parents because there's one point where they're making ramen and it's like that really good style ramen too not top ramen obviously you know that that's the thing it's like that's how you know it's asian it's like the good kind where they have uh the other seasonings of like the dried stuff (laughs) and And
0: they put an egg in there yes
2: and that egg yes so you know the dad throws his chopsticks And then it jumps back to the fortune teller scene because you're like, oh, shit, what's is the mom going to be submissive and sad and like, Mm. oh, my God, no, no, she is fire, spit and fire. Right. And and so that was really interesting to be able to kind of see that dynamic and see that aspect of it. You can be able to see the dynamic between how, you know, uh, Mrs. Chin basically feels like she's having to hold everything up. You know, Boogie says, my mom is controlling psychopath that doesn't love or believe in me, but she's the responsible one. And my dad is the irresponsible one, but loves and believes in me. And so it's interesting to be able to see that even though his mom is kind of this firecracker, she's the one who actually goes and tries to help him. She's the one who's fighting for him. She's the one who's trying to you know make up excuses and things like that, and trying to talk to um, you know the coach and talk to Melvin, who doesn't speak Chinese, uh, to be able to convince them, like, "My son is worth this." It's a really complicated relationship.
1: Is that really helping him, though? Because she, although she thinks what is best for him, that's not what he wants. So then the question goes, like, are you really helping him just because, yes, financial means is important, but wouldn't it be up to what the son wants?
2: Right. No, that's all about that conditional love, right? And that's why... I thought, what? There's this one particular scene where Boogie goes and says, you know, dad's the only one who believes in me. Right. Um, and he, oh shit, I can't remember what he said to his mom, <laughs> but he basically calls her crazy and she's like, oh, you're going to say that to me? Say it again, you know, and like smacks him. And I was like, right. I was like, man, I would never be able to talk to my mom or my dad like that either. right? And so, you know, there were definitely times when he says things out of turn and I was like, damn. I can't believe he was able to do that. But then she goes and like smacks him immediately after I'm like, yeah, there you go. That's exactly what would have happened. So I thought that was actually real.
1: Another thing I mentioned, you mentioned the ramen. What you typically with these Asian American or just Asian movies, we see a, a whole suite and lineup of beautiful dishes. Right. But this movie did not that at all. It was ramen to to really show that like these this family is struggling and even then like ramen they made it look good mm-hmm. but we'd always we kind of equate oh asian movies going to have these beautiful dishes like peking duck i love it <laughs> but this is a nuanced illustration of that that said not every asian american family has those fancy dinners at the table right sometimes they, they they can only live off of ramen
2: yeah i mean growing up um we were not like dirt poor but we were we were not well off we were definitely on the poverty side of things and so you know hot dogs in my ramen that was a very that was a staple you know for yeah. me growing up i'm not used to eating dumplings i'm not used to eating chow fun even though like that's probably super cheap and stuff too still but like so you know i was really appreciative to be able to see like that that being represented and for mm. me growing up i wasn't it wasn't my parents making meals it was me you know i was the daughter that had to like cook meals for everyone and yeah so you know that that struggle was was real to me i appreciated it i i think this movie really does deserve its spot in like the pantheon of asian american films oh yeah
1: for sure uh i want to talk about the relationship between eleanor and boogie it was refreshing. Uh, we always talk about how representation and also representation in the dynamics of romances, right? You don't often see an Asian male lead with a romantic partner with a black female lead. So it was really refreshing. Um, uh, the, the character was kind of somewhat limiting for her, but she had a very strong-willed personality and she was able to kind of convey that. It was a little bit interesting how she eventually you know, succumb to Boogie's pursuit. But I still like that she didn't all of a sudden become like his just his girlfriend. Like she was very important in kind of steering him and guiding him and making uh, the right decisions, kind of being that that bedrock for him morally. One of the interesting things, uh, scenes that I want to bring up between them is the scene where they're about to have sex, or I guess Boogie is about to lose his virginity. The way that this scene was kind of portrayed was pretty, I think was pretty uh, interesting. He didn't, it, it spoke to how Asian men are often insecure about their penis size and just like how their sexuality is displayed. You know, that's when you kind of see like, oh, he's a virgin. You know, all that, all that is talk. But I'm interested in hearing what you guys thought about that scene.
2: I was, I didn't have sex in high school. <laughs> so, um, yeah, me too. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. I was like, wait, did I?
0: I oh, know. Virginity rocks, guys.
2: <laughs> wait until you find the right person. It's really not about that. It's really about finding the right mentality, right? So, you know, whenever you're ready, right?
1: She's like, oh, maybe we should be friends. I was like, oh, <laughs> relegated.
0: Um, so I, when I was watching that scene, my immediate reaction to it was not about their relationship itself but to how they um viewed themselves you may recall that scene she alluded to the little play uh clay creations the dolphins for example yeah. mm-hmm. she tells a story about how you know why i love dolphins because like i, I they were so majestic and they're beautiful and then but when i first got to see them you know they had scars but they were always happy and that's why i see myself as a dolphin so the one thing i talked about the movie was how it introspectively looks bit, uh, into itself i talked about how i loved when boogie talked about how beef and broccoli is representative of himself and asian americans in america and with her how she's alluding to the black experience in america is there are so many scars so many troubled pains in the black american experience but you know, but, but even after 400 plus years you know they're doing great oh well i shouldn't say they they're, they're they're able to carry on the weight. Of the slavery alluded to their people 400 plus years, and they still are able to find success in their own way. And so I really loved how she alluded to how dolphins are beautiful, but they have these scars, but they're still able to carry on their lives. And then you have these two mixtures of people and characters, both historically, um, you know. I should say marginalized. You have the Asian male experience, which has been constantly badgered as sexless, losers, whatever. And then you have the the black female experience, which is like loud, obnoxious, hypersexualized, etc. But then you have these two groups coming together as one to kind of to its core values, understand each other, find love together, and then really ultimately learn to respect each other by using these uh metaphors both beef and broccoli and dolphins, and it was so beautiful and how they portrayed those
2: my 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 big takeaway from the sex scene or leading up to the sex scene was uh, the old school be my love song. Oh in the yeah. Bathroom. I loved yeah. it.
1: the yeah, that was good. The- <laughs> that was funny. I, was like, I thought yes. that was a funny addition to it.
2: <laughs> that was perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely have to say my favorite scenes, like, you know, not from the sex scene, but as far as the relationship between Buggy and Eleanor really is about when they talk about the struggles. And, and so one thing I will say is that I do appreciate Eddie uh, trying to reach those intersections uh, mm-hmm. between Asian and black solidarity. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I'll, and I would definitely say that, you know, when it comes to intersectional um, activism, you know, you're not talking about being on the corner of, of Asian and black because you're, you you can't choose either. You're both. Right. So, you know, I thought that was really interesting to be able to kind of reach across the aisle and and talk about that, uh, you know, and not about the struggle Olympics as, as he said, but being able to say like, you know, I, um, Eleanor, one of my favorite lines from Eleanor is saying, I need you to fight, uh for yourself the way you fight for being chinese yeah and it's true because you know like she while he understands like yeah i have five thousand years of struggle in history um behind you know because they're taiwanese um right right but also at the same time it, it is all about the fact that you know like well eleanor doesn't even have a history it was ripped away from her right? i love that part so, yeah that, even was, that with, was really good right man it was like mm, chef kiss good so I really wish they kind of stuck on more of those things, but without being too like pandery, because it it wasn't pandery. Like I, the way that they rolled in those um, those talking points was Mm -hmm. like was really was really perfect.
1: I did like the scenes between Eleanor and Boogie after they started dating. Just show you know that they're sharing each other's culture, Mm -hmm. right? They're Mm -hmm. having. Chinese food. And, you know, he's doing Tai Chi. Tai chi, <laughs> yep. And it, it's just beautiful. And I think, you know, one of the things in this today's climate, sometimes we do, like you said, kind of fall back into our own corners, you know, and kind of trying to uplift our communities. But at the end of the day, it's about finding those intersections because places like Flushing, New York are huge melting pots. How do we ensure that we're respecting each other's culture and understanding each other's history. So I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, folks, we are back from our break. So I do want to talk about the basketball in this movie. Eddie Huang is a, is a basketball fan. Taylor Takahashi plays basketball. He was, a, he was an all time scorer at Alameda. But here's my personal take on it. I think um, because Eddie knows basketball and watches basketball, he tried to capture like real basketball plays and moves without like, the crossovers. However, the way that it was captured was a little underwhelming. And what I mean by that is that when like Monk is dunking the ball, it's there's like barely any it's like the actual sound. Like I don't know if you guys have ever been to a basketball game, yes. but like eighty percent of the game isn't that, isn't that exciting unless you're watching the Warriors. Hello. Hello. Well what eh, but, not, but, not, not, not right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <all> <laughs> uh, when yeah. monk is dunking the ball, the the sound just wasn't it wasn't that crash, right? It wasn't like the that yeah. we usually get in basketball movies, or when they they shoot a jumper. You hear like the big swish of the nylon and it just wasn't there. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I didn't like about it.
2: I didn't realize we were w- trying to watch Space Jam here. Okay. All
1: right. <laughs> hey, hold on. I love hey, Space, Space Jam. Space Jam is like untouchable. <laughs> that, that's real basketball. Yeah, Talking about exactly. Space Jam, the documentary, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would say one of my favorite... Um, more recently produced uh, is actually a TV series through Netflix that actually had really good editing. I would say it was last chance to you basketball, Mm -hmm. you know, like they had amazing editing there. Like even, i don't know if you can be able to reproduce that that's basically what i was expecting and so to be able to not see those really good swishes those really good jumps and like you know Mm -hmm. i i just i really absolutely felt underwhelmed when it was the basketball scenes for sure
1: but when when you're watching last chance you renee is it and i haven't seen it but are they mainly showing like highlight plays and you're just like wow you know or or so is it just they
2: do such a really good job of being able to do both like the wide angle shots the painting, being able to actually do like uh, see the
1: player movement specific plays
2: yeah. exactly and and so just like you know you you, you see the layup you see you know mm-hmm. the the free throws and you could just see like they like the way that they be they were able to kind of bring it in it almost felt like it almost felt like it was a movie because of how well the cutting and the editing and sound design was, but it was not, it was a documentary. So I was hoping for more of that feel, especially because like that was actually uh, more recently um, shot. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe that's what you're going to see in boogie. And it just wasn't.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they could have achieved that. It's, you know, I expected better basketball out of a movie about basketball. You, oh, know, like, oh. you just gotta get there, and the reason why I didn't like it was you know think and this is unfair comparison, but think about how you watch fight scenes in John Wick versus fight scenes in any Marvel any Marvel movie in the Marvel movies, you see one person going for a punch, quick cut, their face gets moved, and then like you hear a whoosh. And boogie, when you are a basketball, you see them going for a layup, but then you don't see like the play develop. You don't see. I saw yeah. one. I saw them do a pick and roll. That was great, but like, but the execution just wasn't good. The quick cuts and the edits wasn't for the basketball scenes wasn't good. And I know that Taylor's a really good basketball player, mm-hmm. so let him do it. And then on top of that too, they're playing the barracks in New York, which is a very popular, you know. Uh, place to play basketball because i know a lot of nba players still play there uh you know pick up get, uh, ball, get, ball games there too so they could have very easily just got like local basketball players to fill in the background scenes to play uh in addition with taylor but i just felt like the way that eddie shot the basketball scenes weren't that great and You know, I know it's not like Coach Carter or, you know, White Man Can't Jump, which I think is an excellent basketball movie. And the best one is Space Jam. But I get it. Real basketball. That's real basketball. But I get it. It's it's totally fine. And at the end of the day, like, they wanted to highlight um, Taylor's ability to play basketball in a movie about basketball. I just felt that it it just took away from the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it did miss the cinematic feel of... A bit what typically has these basketball movies right um above the rim the way that they close up on the crossovers and like mm-hmm. the moves and like the post up and i think that was what i'm usually with these basketball movies they kind of pick a certain skill of the player and they kind of really highlight that taylor i didn't really see that or, or, or boogie i didn't really see that much even though that he was touted as like this all-star basketball player Yeah, I think he was just going for the realism. I don't know. Like you said, Renee, maybe it was missing those wide shots and maybe those wide shots are really expensive to do.
2: Wide shot, slow it down, and then be able to pick it back up when it actually hits the thing. Exactly. They exactly did too yeah. many. They yeah. did too many jump cuts to Eleanor, and it's like I agree. Why? Why? Like because you think that there's any sort of, you know what? Oh, who am I gonna choose? Am I gonna? And choose? the crowd
1: noise could have been louder too. Right. The
0: announcer took away so much from the from the scenes too, especially that last basketball game. I was like,
1: have some excitement in there. Like, why can't you be like the Warriors announcer, where they at least like put some voice. In it which is weird because he's an actual announcer like at i don't know if it's at the barracks but he's like an actual announcer at like a blacktop league kind of thing so i don't know i'm very surprised why he didn't i mean like those announcers are usually really good yeah yeah what did you think about having the final play of the, uh, the game end on a defensive play <laughs> <laughs> and russell wilson is picked at the goal line yeah that's great defense oh my okay God. that's different yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought it was interesting because you know with these basketball movies again usually it's like an, an iconic layup or like the jumper right the jumper yeah. is yeah. the is the safest bet where it's like they zoom in on the on the follow through right and then you see the ball the so low. the ball rotates yeah and then it doesn't at it, zero. Like, it, it hits the rim first and it bounces around right it, and you're like <gasps> and then you go yeah but in this one, it was like, ah, defensive play. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're going for the ball too. And then it ended. Exactly. I was like, wow.
0: Right? Yeah.
2: Right? Oh my God.
1: It happens more often times than not. Eddie knows basketball, but I am watching a basketball movie. Give me the epic jumper that ends the game, right? Down by one brings the ball up right i, I oh needed that and i don't know
2: i really wanted that underdog kind of thing too i for sure right i mean they even so they they tease it in the actual uh movie where uh eddie's friend basically goes and it's like this whole this whole season was for you right it was about uh what is it he said Everyone on that team wished they were you. You I mean we do the dirty work for you all season long, so you get your shot. You know your plan was to beat Monk. You know your shot to college and your opportunity for the NBA, and now you're not even, not even in your own goddamn self, right? It's just like you're not even here for yourself. Like what is this all about? So, you know, I thought it was really interesting to be able to see that. So then the anticlimactic like final basketball scene at the barracks, I was like man like
1: yeah i think it the 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 way that scene where he finally becomes like a team leader right and all of a sudden he starts including he becomes coachable um i think some of that could just could have been acted better but again i give that a pass taylor's you know inexperienced as an actor totally get that so um i do want to speaking of basketball though i want to just i think we have to mention shots fired at jeremy lin in this movie and then just how eddie huang feels about jeremy lin i think the line in it, you know calls him a mana minority jesus freak but he ain't asian
2: well, st- in uh, Stephen A.'s world, um, yeah. Eddie goes and he says, i will going be real hunter with you." I'm not a big fan of Jeremy Lin. I mean, that's fair. You don't have to be a fan of Jeremy Lin, but his whole thing was about how, like, the reason why he has like l- zero respect for Jeremy is uh, Jeremy Lin is because, like, oh, I've been called a uh, coronavirus on the court. He's right. like, man, there are people being. Shot, stabbed, killed, right? And you're like, oh, he's like, pick up your pants, man. And he was saying, he
1: said, like, go get a bucket. That's how you get over it. Go get a bucket.
2: That's what he said. (laughs) Go get a bucket. Anyway, so you know, and he basically was just kind of touting that the fact is, like, if you want to be an ally, then you know, like, that's not, you know, being doing that is not the way to be able to be on the side of solidarity with us. Be, you know, like being able to actually show like how to show up for the community so you know
1: i th- I got that too i also feel eddie comes from this culture where there are bigger problems in the world and i think he also the reason why he's not a big fan of jeremy lynn is because he said that when Lynn's sanity was going on jeremy credited his success or his you know um skills to religion and not his culture to god. God. yeah to god and not his like culture and and then all of a sudden, when anti-Asian rhetoric or hate is kind of like the hot topic issue right now, Jeremy speaks out about it. And Eddie's kind of like, well, look, you're kind of like a pair. I think that's honestly kind of what he's saying. Like, you've, we've got bigger problems and you're a basketball player and you're using your platform, yes, to speak out, which Eddie commemorates. But I he's like, I don't find it morally equivalent to actual elderly who cannot protect themselves actually getting hurt. That's how I kind of saw it.
0: I think it's fair. I think that it's a little bit of oppression Olympics in a sense, because there's nothing wrong with Jeremy Lin acknowledging that there's racial tension in, you know, in sports. But I'm going to be completely honest in uh, to Eddie's defense. That happens anywhere. That happens anywhere. The fact is that Jeremy Lin is a phenomenon in and of himself because he's an Asian American player in the modern day of NBA basketball. And that's uncommon. I mean, that's not uncommon. He's the first. So Jeremy's has to recognize that this is going to happen, and if if he wants to be on the side of I want if he wants if Jeremy Lin wants to be on the side of I want to fight for all Asian Americans, Eddie is basically saying like, look, grow a pair, like you guys said. Come on and realize that there's much bigger shit going on rather than being called coronavirus on the court. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Jeremy does a great job of acknowledging and fighting hate with love. Like, think of when uh, I forget, oh, God, he's Jeremy Lin was attacked by uh, or maligned by another NBA basketball player who, like, who said that Jeremy Lin had dreads and and that he was giving Jeremy Lin shit about who was it again?
1: Like, he played in the he played in the nineties. I I have his face and I cannot think of. It's gonna bother me. Hold on, Kenyon Martin. There we go. Yeah, he there's no way Jeremy Lin had a poster of Kenyon,
0: okay? There's no that's be real. And then like Jeremy's way of attacking those things is to like is very godlike. You you turn the other cheek, you reciprocate it with love. But Eddie's approach is I grew up in a sense I grew up in a world where you shit just happens to you and you have to learn
1: how to take it and you and your best defense is, is offense. Do you do you guys I think Renee you said in the beginning you you find it a little bit problematic. What do you mean by that? Okay, so are you talking about this instance or Eddie in general?
2: Eddie in general. Eddie in general is, is sometimes problematic because you know one of the things is that the one of the criticisms about him is that he profits off of black culture, um especially when you take a look at like fresh off the boat and and how like there's a lot of referencing to like um just like the way that he talks and the swagger and his clothing and his and his uh the music that he listens to. And so, you know, a lot of people is, uh, criticism of Eddie's that is like this, uh, black, you know, appropriation, um, and things like that. And that, uh, you know, Eddie probably doesn't do enough for being able to, you know, the profiting off of like black entertainment and things like that. I kind of understand where people are coming from, but also at the same time, like for me, like I grew up in the hood, um, in Fresno. And so like, um i also but i relate to like a lot of the the things that like eddie said he grew up with some of the things that we have in common with like the oppression specifically right is that you know like the the music that was given to us about how like we're you know with what we were dealt with how we utilize that to like you know, give ourselves opportunities in the United States. And so, you know, like, I I don't, I don't think it's like completely unfounded. And I also understand like the criticism. So it's, it's just like, you have to, it's about like walking that fine line, right? So, you know, what, so one of the things that I do appreciate is that Eddie is trying to, like, really come out and talk about activism and talk about the intersectionality of activism and, so while Eddie is problematic, at the same time he's like he's trying, he's learning, and I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah,
1: I don't find him so problematic. I mean, he spoke out against Fresh Off the Boat. He even said that mm-hmm. he didn't like how the show was produced it was because down. It, yeah. it was patterned to white people at the. It's, it there. they they basically took away all the pain and struggle of his memoirs and made it into a comedy. You know, I don't know Eddie as a person. I would assume the fact that he grew up in an environment where he was embraced by the black and brown community. And that is just the environment that he grew up in. I don't, I can't say that he's appropriating uh, from it because, I mean, who knows? Uh, He may be, he does a lot to try to respect the hip hop culture and the basketball culture. Um, And the appropriation aspect of it is such a tricky thing because it's like, just because you don't look like the predominant culture, but you grew up in an environment of it is that to say, like, you can't enjoy it at, at all, you know? And, you know, I guess appropriation, you can say, is a spectrum.
2: You know, it's interesting that you say that, because what's interesting about what you're what you're saying is that the black and and brown and, and like, just like the Asian community solidarity, will, uh, you know, they it dates back pretty far. Um, and, you know, one of the last year during a black lives movement during a george floyd murder and um all of the protests that erupted from them from then it was, uh, was about like um one of the main lines that was coming back up again was like yellow peril uh for black uh, for Black Panthers. So, hold on. Sorry. Black Power. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. I have, I have it right here, but I, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's a Black Power supports yellow peril or vice versa.
2: Yellow. Yes. Yeah. So signs and artworks bearing, bearing the slogan, yellow peril supports Black Power have began appearing at protests and on social media following the death of George Floyd, a black man who was killed after a Minneapolis police officer knelt on his neck. And this was, you know, an article written by NBC News um, you know, June of 2020. And that slogan actually traces its roots to the 1960s. And while it's been repurposed by Asian Americans as a show of solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, some activists have begun speaking out against It's used today saying that it detracts from the movement by equating Asian Asian-American struggle with Black struggle. So, you know, while... Uh, I don't think so. Right, exactly. While NBC News kind of wrote it like that, I, I feel like, you know, the, the what really is to take away from it is that together, you know, we've, we've shown the the ability to be able to understand each other, but also where the lines, the fissures are. And mm. then also at the same time, it's white supremacy that's pitting us against ourselves that mm-hmm. really is making it about, like again, the oppression Olympics and not about how we can be able to come together to be able to dismantle some of the, the white supremacy that that's really oppressing us.
1: Yeah, I, I think I read something about that too. I think that just semantics honestly i mean it's it's a it's a slogan it's a, it's a phrase and it says support it's not it doesn't i don't I haven't seen any sign that says black power equals yellow peril you know power or, or anything like right. that so right. I, I think people are reading too much into it sometimes and i think majority of asian people know that they owe a lot to the black community for really paving the way for civil rights uh, especially during the '60s.
2: Yeah, but it doesn't take away from the fact that there's a lot of anti-black rhetoric in the Asian community,
1: for sure, and vice versa too. And there's right. that mm-hmm. that conversation always comes up. It's like we're, it's like we, we we don't forget that the that there is anti. Asian and anti-black in each other's communities. But it's kind of like, how do we build those bridges? Right.
2: Right. How do, how do we, exactly. How do we hold each other accountable? How do we hold, um, you know, our youth and hold ourselves and hold our elders and hold our parents uh, accountable for it?
1: Okay. Let's talk about Asians in sports. Uh, Not very common, to be quite frank we're seeing it a little bit more. So we mentioned Jeremy Lin, but typically like for myself growing up thinking I wanted to be, a, of course I wanted to be an athlete, but I was like, is that realistic? Like, hell no. Like I did not have the physicality or the the physical talents to even think I would last as a, as an athlete. But everyone, you know, I definitely wanted to be. And so when we see like an Asian athlete it's like that is high performing. You're like oh, like actually, it's really nice. Especially in a physical sport like basketball, football. I guess baseball is a little <laughs> not really that physical.
2: Uh, are you? How dare you? I'm talking about oh like contact
1: God. sport, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then there's also like hockey. You know,
0: I think with Asian Americans or just let's just say Asians in general, Asians culturally, we tend to play in sports that are very individualistic. So we are a lot. Of, there's a lot of dancers. There's a lot of figure skaters. There's a lot of... Nathan Chen. Nathan Chen. There's a lot of badminton. And there's a lot of tennis. Mm. But there's not a lot of Asians in what Raymond said, contact sports, team sports. Primarily because, you know, um, one, I'll be completely honest, a lot of Asians are not developed in that way to compete at the highest levels against (laughs) some of our brethren. Um, but the other part is that, you know, um, think about the culture in which Asian Americans grew up in, you know, like you have parents who are afraid of contact sports, such as basketball, football, and a lot of these Asian parents, Asian parents put their child in more or less contact sports, such as badminton tennis, primarily because they saw that as quote unquote elegant whiteness and they wanted to be white aligning in that yeah, sense. And so yeah. they put their kids in those sports primarily because it felt as if it was much more elegant than it's like basketball football where grown men are bashing each other so there there's a reason why a lot of asian americans growing up didn't play those and so that's why you see a large influx of asian americans playing soccer as well because it has the uh has the that has the stereotype that is not as bashing as football or basketball but that's what i realized too i mean i play track and field i i suck at basketball i can't play that at all i love football um, but I found that growing up, my parents were okay with me doing sports so long as it didn't involve another human being running into me, which is why I did a lot of track and field, uh, discus, uh, running and, um, cross country and badminton too.
2: Well, also I know that, you know, like Asian parents wanted their, their skills kids to like get into sports because it was like one more check mark for their ivy league you know um, right
1: applications but not like actually professionally right
2: right exactly they're like no
0: unless
1: unless they were really good yeah
2: (laughs) yeah exactly but it was just kind of like okay just do it enough so that you can be able to look good on your applications for college right Mm -hmm.
0: it was never a means to an end or it was just a means to an end it was never an ends to a mean like it was just like you do this just to
1: check a box but you don't do it at the highest level,
2: right, Is that
1: Right, c- unless unless they show signs of like, oh wow, this person is actually really good when they win like tournaments and or competitions, mm-hmm. like Chloe Kim, for example. Yeah, uh, love her. She, she's amazing. I think also what plays into it is that you think about football and basketball; they're such bedrocks of American sports. Like yeah. that, that's the cream of the crop when it comes to like the marketability of it, the money maker. Everyone gets excited of it, and we just rarely see Asian Americans in those spaces which is why lin Sanity was such a big thing at right. the time I and mean, we think we also think about yao ming but he was like china you know so we we rarely get <laughs> we rarely get like asian americans like right. put some respect on yao ming's name <laughs> just,
0: kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just kidding yeah <laughs> but, you know jeremy lin was like Palo alto you know so yeah yeah
2: i would be remiss if i didn't bring up uh the first mong american um woman to actually join the lpga uh golfing and so her name is megan king she um probably one of also the youngest i think she's uh like she was like 19 17 18 something like that being able to actually play and so you know he agreed on the you know low contact sport and really it comes down to like like, when in, in high school, my parents didn't want me to play basketball or, like, anything. Like, they wouldn't want me to play sports. But one sport that I was getting into was wrestling. As soon as they found out that I was Damn. grappling sweaty dudes, they are like, uh, no, you're not going to nah. be doing that. <laughs> but, you know, like, I was... You
1: can do that when you're older.
2: <laughs> I do jiu-jitsu now, right? <laughs> but, you know, when I was in high school, I was, you know, I was bench pressing, you know, better than most of the guys in the class, right? So that was the thing. is <laughs> <laughs> I really wish you guys could see Alan my bench <laughs> face. <right there. laughs>
1: it's always like this. <laughs> <laughs> when we were weightlifting, Renee, Alan would make this noise. He goes, it's, "It's
0: you get ready for a clean." Uh, so for those listening, clean and the snatch, we go.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like okay. Lu Xiao Jun. It's like. Ur! I hope you made those noises, Renee. It, it doesn't count unless you make those noises.
2: I know. I'm a little bit on the quiet side, guys.
1: Oh, okay. Silent killer. <laughs>
2: Gets her lyrics, but anyway yeah you know like so um but i had a very sheltered life in high school i was the only daughter and so my my dad knew who he was when he was in high school and my mom actually you know got pregnant with my older brother when she was 14 to my dad right so right. you know like they knew the perils of teenage hormones and so didn't want me going out doing anything like that. And so, you know, I ended up going to a technical university. <laughs> um, but you know, so that's the thing is like, I, I, I I actually didn't quite relate to some of like the high school aspects of like having parents that actually supported you doing sports and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, from on the highest level. But it was really interesting to kind of see that one of my favorite scenes was actually at the very end. There's this herbal chicken uh, soup dish that you're served after you give uh, birth to
0: a child and it's, it's the black chicken soup, right?
2: Right. And it's the postpartum diet. and so you know one of the things that the that the dad you know mr chin says is like every part of the chicken is here for you and oh, mom yeah. goes and says and every part of us is in you right and it was like wow you know like so while there's like that tension of like the parents kind of hating on each other there's that aspect of boogie actually represents the hope yeah. that they had that they don't have right so that was a really good, poignant scene to end on. I really appreciated that that cultural aspect of it, um, and I love the chicken dinner, chicken diet. So yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Mm. So you like the movie? Okay, got it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one hundred okay. out of one hundred. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, and then the very last thing we want to end on is: what do you think Boogie's message was? The main message that you took out of it. I think for me, the main message is that when you When parents show that there's a lot of support and love for their children and there's a good, strong support network, even though there's a lot of undue pressure that teenagers tend to put on themselves, it's very important to have support and love at the end of the day. And that's how I kind of took out of the movie, regardless of how it was shot and everything like that. I think it was great to see how the parents kind of came through at the end, loving each other. My main movie
0: takeaway is a little pointed. It's I mean when you watch the movie, it's about fulfilling your own personal goals, such as achieving a D1 scholarship as they shown in the movie, but then ultimately one must fulfill his familial obligations because it kinda the movie kinda ends ambiguously because it shows that he was able to vindicate his personal demons, that he was worthy of getting a D1 scholarship. But unfortunately, he has familial obligations, which is that he signed a contract already with the I think the Shanghai Dragons or something. Shanghai Sharks. Shanghai Sharks. Thank you very much. It ends on a ambiguous, open-ended yet pointed ending. You can vindicate all your demons on your personal life, but if if you're an Asian American, the Asian American experience is ultimately you have familial obligations that you must adhere to, despite achieving your own dreams.
2: Basically, you know, the movie basically turns the model minority um, on its head. So Mm. instead of fretting for those, you know, getting into a top university, you're actually trying to he's going for that top D1 school. Um, And, you know, they're really looking for that full rights scholarship. I'm going to have to go ahead and say, you know, what Eddie Huang said to Stephen, um, you know, on Stephen Day's World is basically talking about how. Uh, tell your kids that you love them so they know that you're at your co- in their corner. Because while uh, Boogie's mom was, you know, super abusive, uh, she also was the one who fought the hardest for him. Facts. So, you know... Yeah, exactly. So it was just kind of like, you know, like, yeah, you know, you, I know my parents said that they loved me because they uh, and cared about me because uh, they showed it with, you know, a roof over my head and a belly full of food. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's just not enough. Right. I need to know that you actually are in my corner. I need to know that you actually care about me. And by saying those three words i love you that would have made yeah. a whole world of a difference for me growing up i still have yet to hear it from my parents and i know i'm never going to maybe on my deathbed i don't know oh. for the, you know like uh, but you know that that's not something that i'm looking to be able to uh to ever get right and so really what it comes down to is um boogie not throwing away his shot so at the very end of the day you know it's about you know like what are you gonna do what are you gonna sacrifice for you, your Future and for your parents, will basically for Boogie everything.
0: The outro for this should be uh I'm not getting away my shot from uh uh from that
1: Hamilton play. Hamilton. I'm not yes. giving away
0: my shot. i'm
1: <laughs> No, the, the outro is going to be you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Michael Scott.
0: Okay, Wayne gretzky <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
1: so Wayne Gretzky. Hockey. Michael right. Scott. <laughs> oh,
2: oh my
1: god. <laughs> All right everybody, tune in next time for another episode of Real Asian Podcast. If you want to keep up with when our next episode comes out or catch some sneak previews, find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Real Asian Podcasts. That's R-E-E-L, Asian Podcast.